0: It's time for Security Now, and today's episode is truly a mystery story. Last week, the developers of TrueCrypt put up a message on their site saying, Go away! <laughs> no TrueCrypt here! No TrueCrypt for you! What happened? Steve Gibson doesn't know for sure, but he's got a very plausible explanation. And we'll let you know what to do going forward. TrueCrypt, what the heck? Next on Security Now. Now. <laughs> netcasts you love
1: from people you trust
0: this is twit bandwidth for security now is provided by cashfly at c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y dot com this is security now with steve gibson episode 458 recorded june 3rd 2014 TrueCrypt, what the heck Security Now is brought to you by audible.com. To download a free audiobook of your choice, visit audiblepodcast.com/security now. It's time for security now, the show that protects you, your loved ones and uh, everybody you know against the bad guys out there on the internet, the guys who would steal your password, steal your privacy. Mr. Steve Gibson is the, uh, is the guy in charge here. He is uh, the uh, editor in chief at uh, the GRC website, the creator of SpinRite, world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility, the inventor of the term spyware, the writer of the first anti-spyware tool. He's been doing security for a long time and is a trusted source for all of us.
1: Thank you for being here. Uh, and it shows. <clears throat> well, yes. and and I actually, lost a week. Yeah, th- I bet you th- did. Th- this- this true crypt thing took a week out um, so I'm so excited I posted back in the squirrel group this morning that after the podcast today I would be back in we uh, we left things a little up in the air what what we're deciding on is where we want squirrel to look for the its users identities so like go look in the my documents folder then we'll look in the program's own execution directory, and then look in the current working directory. That way, you it'll support portable. If you, like, bring it on a USB stick and you've got your identity there on the stick with you, Squirrel will be able to find it there. If you put it in the My Documents folder, that's sort of like the universal per user folder, so that way it'll handle roaming profiles and multiple user s- systems. So, you know, we're at that level of detail now where it's, you know, the rubber is in contact with the road. Um, but then this happened on Wednesday, and I was watching you. Well, in fact, you know I was watching you because I was in the chat room, saying uh, noting that the signatures did match the b- b- between TrueCrypt versions. This was immediately after the world learned that something had happened to TrueCrypt, and we were all scrambling around trying to figure out what. This is right in and the middle of
0: uh, this week in Google. And you right. know, of course, uh, you know everybody going to the TrueCrypt.org page looked at it, and uh, I think a lot of people said, "Oh, it's 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 uh, TrueCrypt's been abandoned." And my first reaction is, "Well, you know, I would like to see more." This sure looks like a bad hack, uh, just the way it's written. Um, the i the idea that the folks of who wrote TrueCrypt would propose Windows BitLocker as the alternative. I mean, essentially, TrueCrypt was written because they didn't trust BitLocker or any closed source solution. We'd... Actually,
1: it was written well before BitLocker. So right, but there were so, encryption
0: yeah. solutions from Microsoft before BitLocker that nobody really wanted to use. And, and, and so it seemed odd to me. And the way it was written also, the ref- reference to the fact that Microsoft had terminated support of XP puzzled me. So my initial reaction was, well, we don't know, but boy, I, I'd like to see some explanation of this before I would jump to the conclusion that it's, it's real.
1: Right, so for our listeners who don't know, uh, this episode of Security Now is titled "TrueCrypt WTH" or you "WTF." Choose, choose the letter of your choice. <laughs> yeah. friendly, fa- family friendly, you wish to be. I, I did. I cho- I went for F because, boy, it's been quite a week. Well, and that's the reaction um, we all had.
0: Like, what happened?
1: Yeah, and well, well, so that's – you and I are going to talk about this ad infinitum at length in the second half of the podcast after we talk about a little bit of news that managed to squeak its way through the TrueCrypt hubbub uh, during the course of the last week. Uh, I want to talk briefly about uh, news of uh, troubling – sort of this general troubling misuse of the U.S. Computer Fraud and Abuse Act uh, – The fact that Chrome has tightened up its security in an interesting way. Uh, We'll talk about the Brian Williams, Edward Snowden interview, which occurred the day after last week's podcast, last Wednesday. Uh, Some strange news about the Zeus botnet and CryptoLocker, which is like more not news than news. But it's, you know, everyone's covering it because CryptoLocker is now a buzz term. Um, I want to talk about a little bit about the w w d c that happened yesterday, and so the my favorite new planned features in i o s eight uh a n- quick note about halt and catch fire, which aired for the first time um two nights ago on sunday night uh my absolute final comments ever about shaving <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll talk no, about no, truth. No, no,
0: you don't have to paint yourself into a corner there. You may speak uh, about it again.
1: Well, it's actually, I've done my job. And i it's been enough time now that people who heard me raving placed their orders, received their product, <laughs> shaved their face, uh, I presume it was their face, and tweeted me their reactions. So I have four that... I had this morning, and since I produced the PDF, two more have come in, uh, and so we will. My 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 point being that if 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 people don't get it by now, they're not going to. So I'm not going to you know belabor the point any, um, and then we'll talk about TrueCrypt. So I think a, a great podcast. Um, there, one of the things that is really troubling is when. Legislation is written to pass, which often means it's blunted. So, you know, you you can have someone who wants to put together a law. And I guess this is often referred to as sausage making because, you know, it's a process you really don't want to witness um, because you don't end up wanting to eat the product after you've seen where it came from. Um, so somebody has a great idea about a a new piece of legislation, and they write a nicely assembled piece and and then there are objections to it there you know always it's it's gonna be the case that there will be other people who say, who are sort of mildly against it, or maybe they're against the person who wrote the legislation, so they just don't want to, you know, they just want to mess with them so. What ends up happening is you get legislation which oftentimes is too open to interpretation. And, you know, open to interpretation is an attorney's favorite phrase (laughs) because it means everybody gets to argue while the meters are running and that's what keeps them in business. So we have a situation like that with the so-called U.S. Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, and um, I picked up on an interesting article in The Guardian uh, in this last week, um, which had the um, – it, it, it talked about this act, and, and it said that security researchers say they've been threatened with indictment for their work investigating Internet vulnerabilities. And it cited a number of people, H.D. H. Moore, for example, um, who's who essentially left the sphere of – of work for a while. I mean, he was a little bit on the darker gray side of neutral. I think he was darker than 14% gray. Um because uh you know, he he did the Metasploit framework which, you know, joyously adds exploit demos, you know, the day that they're released um and making them very easy for less technically inclined hackers or capable hackers uh, to leverage. But there are other instances where this legislation is really damaging security. For example, it's often the case now that some, some researchers will find a flaw in some company's product. They will do the responsible thing which is notify the company of the flaw. And we're always on this podcast covering the fact that companies often do nothing. I mean, they're busy, they're working on their next version. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's not good news. So it just sort of, it's there, there's some tension that is created typically because of the company, they're receiving companies in action over some number of months created between the people who find a problem, which they believe is important. And I know all of our listeners would think it was important, you know, things like, you know, backdoors in router firmware, for example, or, you know, webcams that you can log into without a, a password anywhere on the internet and look in people's bedrooms and nurseries and things. I mean, really, you know, stuff that ought to be fixed. So what happens then is that after some number of length of time of inaction, the people who are in the know say, look, this is important. You seem unwilling to fix it proactively. We got to go public with this. At which time the company's attorneys immediately turn around and threaten to to turn these people, the researchers, into criminals under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. And, And this is the problem is that Unfortunately, the way this is written, it is absolutely feasible to bring a lawsuit. They may not ultimately win, but as we also know, just the threat of suit is often enough to cause people to not take any further action. And what's now beginning to happen is that researchers in academia are looking at at the choices they have ahead of them. It's like, what should we research? And there are, there are areas where they know they're going to be stepping into this problem, very much like the DMCA, um, which is, you know, again, a huge problem for people who want to explore the cryptography of, of DRM, content here we're talking about you know fundamental security architecture the implementation of security on the internet and so w- what's beginning to happen is that attorneys are waking up to the fact that there's this really broad and and again that's the problem really broad law which they can pretty much at will just wield against anyone who upsets them, and and the truth is, it dramatically weakens the effective security on the net. and And I don't know how we how this gets fixed in the long term. I mean, maybe maybe so, something has to happen. Probably that's just generally the way these things work. Something has to happen, which is dramatic, where we then after the fact, forensically look at, okay, wait a minute, you're saying that people knew about this and they didn't talk about it? Oh, why didn't they talk about it? Oh, it's because they were under threat of lawsuit from the people who didn't want them to talk about it over this law. Well, then we have to change the law. And so we're probably stuck with this. Um, And what's interesting is that I did a little more research into the background of this. Congress wants to make this stronger I mean, there again, they're, the you know our congressional lawmakers barely understand how any of this works, and so they're trying to take this in the wrong direction rather than the right direction. That is of making it more onerous and 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 more of a of a broad brush. And the problem is that there are you know researchers do have to act in some ways like. Bad guys, I mean, not with evil intent, but you know we're all generating packets, and so the question is, are these packets being used as probes and with no intent to 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 you know actually conduct criminal activity, or are they being used for the purpose of crime? I mean, that seems cut and dry. The problem is companies that don't want their own mistakes to come to light can use this in order to keep those mistakes from coming to life. And obviously that does not improve the internet security. So anyway, I thought that was – it was interesting. And as as I looked into it more, I just found myself sort of shaking my head thinking, well, okay. <laughs> well, and it's also been fixed.
0: used uh, it kind of capriciously and with heavy-handed uh – uh, sometimes uh, overzealousness by uh, pr- prosecutors. Aaron Schwartz, uh, of course, was prosecuted under this yes. act. Yes, uh, exactly. And, uh, and that was an example of somebody being really over-prosecuted. Um, but nevertheless, and of course life, he killed himself as a result. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's no question that this act is, is wielded inappropriately often by prosecutors. Some uh. of that, I think, comes from a fear of computing. Just of a general fear of technology and a real ardor in kind of uh, getting the bad guys, the hackers. Uh, you know, our friend yeah, Randall and- Schwartz was put in jail uh, yes. for something very similar. He, uh, you know, the thing is, as it's always a little bit gray. It was gray with yes, him. Ex- exactly. Where, you know, he probably was going where he shouldn't, but he found a vulnerability and reported it immediately. Nevertheless, got arrested for it. Um, and that happens. You know, another uh, case is a, a friend of ours, Adrian Lamo, who uh, yep. similarly, uh, you know, he, he was pen testing. But, you know, he broke into the New York Times and, you know, it's technically it is a crime. And so and yeah. it's often a gray area. But I think probably the worst. I agree with you. It's bad for security. And it is often overzealously prosecuted. And Aaron Schwartz is a perfect example where he really didn't do anything wrong. <laughs>
1: Yeah and I mean you know we've sort of touched on this before but the only solution I can imagine is to use anonymity and it's unfortunate that you have to do that because then you don't get to use whatever credibility you have in the industry to say look I, you know I'm a honest to goodness researcher and I found this and you need to pay attention to this yeah and 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 so you know, and and so you have to use anonymity and try to get their attention. But you know, it is the case that you probably need to protect yourself from, from, from. And it's interesting because you said you know they're afraid of technology, and you're right. But almost certainly, these are also companies massively profiting right. from the technology. Right. Oh, you know, well, I'm and thinking only of the attorneys,
0: gen- the state's attorneys general, and the uh, law right, enforcement right, uh, people, the people who actually right. prosecute the crimes. I think often over prosecute because they just are a little terrified by the We we know how the FBI treated Ladar Levinson, uh, you know. Yes, they, uh, they over they're overzealous. Just, I think.
1: Yeah, just, they just came stomping in and demanding way right. more than they actually and, needed. And, and
0: this gives them a tool that they
1: can use uh, inappropriately. Yeah. So, what did you think of uh, Brian Williams and uh, interviewing Ed Snowden? Uh, I haven't watched it yet. I'm waiting for your okay. opinion. Um, um, I've read, of course, I, all
0: the it, reviews and the, and the synopses, but I haven't actually seen it. Yeah,
1: A- and it didn't really I- – I think the one piece of news, and I, I guess I call it news because I kept hearing it repeated over and over and over for days afterwards, was Edward's assertion, which the New York Times – or I'm sorry, NBC – was at least in part able to verify was that he had brought his concerns – to the attention right. of upper management. Right. A- and so he'd like he'd worked within the system, within channels, and he asserted numerous times ongoing dialogue. You know, yeah. this he he was explaining to them why he felt this was completely extra constitutional behavior that that was really beyond the pale. Yeah. Um, and aside from that, I just got another sense of what an articulate, thoughtful person this guy is. You know, he did assert, uh, you know, because Brian asked him, would you like to come home to the U.S.? And Edward said, yes. Of course. You know, I, I can't, but I would like to. You know, of course I would like to. So, well, you know, of I think at some point a, it might be generate-
0: appropriate for him to come home and face the music. I mean, uh, it's a, a risk as we know from a Chelsea uh, Manning, but,
1: uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the, the concern is whether, um, whether, you know, what kind of justice he would face. Everyone says, come, point, come back and face justice. At this
0: point, he ain't going to be spirited away to Guantanamo Bay and have a, uh, have a secret trial. He's too public. So if I were him, I'd make a very public show. I bet he does this a very public show of saying, all right, I'm going to come home and defend myself. And be very public about it. And I think the press well, would make sure that, the, you
1: know, he got as fair a trial as he could. We do have his temporary uh, asylum expiring shortly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's coming up on a year now when Russia said, yes, you can stay for a year. But um, it's not clear, you know, what's going to happen afterwards. Yeah. yeah. And he's got
0: lovely so, skin, I'm told. He's very,
1: very... <laughs> <poor> <laughs> well, yeah, because he's having a... He's having a good time. He's got a lot of but time, does time does for ca- spot does treatments. Caviar, just caviar. Do <laughs> oh, that very to you? good for your skin. Yeah, uh, Okay. all that fish oil. Uh, so there's a, but there's a just a strange story, and I don't. This is annoying because if we knew more, maybe it would be interesting. It's getting headlines, but nobody seems to be saying anything. Um, so uh, nationalcrimeagency.gov.uk. Uh, The Guardian picked it up. I've seen it in several places, you know, picking it up. And that is that a from from what I've been able to see, a federal court in Pittsburgh, of all places, uh, decided to allow the FBI to redirect the automated requests by victim computers for additional instructions. These are botnet computers. So we're talking about this. The, the well-known, it's called the Game Over Zeus botnet. Of course, we've talked about Zeus a lot, um, and also CryptoLocker. Now, what's significant about this is that the good guys cannot interfere with computer communications without themselves breaking the law. Um, I remember being in a discussion with the Attorney General years ago during something i don't know if it was nimda or code red or what it was but it was one of the worms and and we were inquiring whether it would be feet whether it would be legal to 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 disinfect machines that had been infected by this well the the deal was without their these- owner's permission right right um the traffic being generated by whatever this was i don't remember the incident but it was not spoofed it, so we so anybody sniffing and collecting packets on the internet was getting the actual ip addresses of the infected machines and so there was a huge temptation to build a disinfector which would sit there and when when your ip or your net was probed by an infected machine, it would send something back to disinfect it, which we had the capability to do, except it was illegal. Even though these machines were already infected and were spreading an infection, it was it was against the law for white hats to disinfect the machines. So apparently what happened is, and this is where this is all fuzzy because there's no details in these stories, but there's like this weird... Uh, people in the UK are being told they have two weeks to protect themselves. It's like what?? Uh-huh. So the only thing I could figure from reading everything I have is that the what the court did was provide a two-week interruption, that is permission for the FBI through the DOJ to the, the U.S. Department of Justice to, to interdict the communications of the botnet for a fixed period. Can't do it forever. We're going to give you two weeks. I, I, mean, I don't know what good that's going to do. I, maybe we'll get more news or information a week or two from now. Um, so we'll, we'll keep our eyes open. But a lot of people were, were tweeting saying, hey, what is this about? And I said, well, I, so I did all the research I could find and, and plowed in, and this is my best guess. So we'll see if that turns out to be the case. Now, we've often talked about Zeus, and I was talking about it in relation to uh, banking and, and building firewalls between accounts, and I did pick up essentially an echo of what, what we've been talking about. In one article, it mentioned that security researchers estimated that between... Half a million and a million computers worldwide are infected with this Game Over Zeus botnet. Half a million? And appro- wow. Uh, um, between half a million and one million. Wow. So as many as a million, and that approximately 25% of the infected computers are here in the U.S. They said the total losses worldwide are unknown. But we believe that the losses exceed 100 million dollars to U.S. victims. So this, and then finally, it finished by saying because many of the victims are small and mid-sized businesses, their accounts typically do not have the same legal protections afforded to consumer accounts. So such losses can be devastating. And this was exactly. Where we got a couple of weeks ago when I realized that what, you know, the, the, I was talking about my perspective as a small business and, and you, it, it, you know, you knew that, that seemed wrong from your own experience, Leo. Uh, and, and, and indeed, consumers have protections which small and mid sized businesses don't. And, and so the and Danes- others
0: outside of the US often don't as well. We should, many of our right. listeners are outside right. the US. These are relatively recent US banking
1: laws. And unfortunately, this Zeus botnet is around and thriving because there's such tremendous incentive for the bad guys to get this onto people's machines. It is very banking website aware so that it watches what you do and it knows which sites you're going to and how to steal your credentials on the fly. And so this thing gets into your computer, you do your online banking and this thing says, thank you very much and drains your account. Holy and, moly. and if you're a small business, your money's gone. It there 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 isn't, you know, government protection and there's no recourse. The bank and, and from the bank standpoint, they saw you withdraw the money. Right. They saw you transfer the funds. So, you know, and and there are typically no records left. So how do you prove to the bank that this wasn't you. And and in in any event, the bank doesn't care. You transferred your money away or someone did. But as far as the bank's concerned, they obeyed a lawful request for a money transfer and it's just gone. And I mean, that I got directly from agents of the FBI uh, who I was talking to in the early days when I was setting up my e-commerce site, Uh, I had a chance to say, okay, what, you know, (laughs) from your experience, guys, what are the gotchas? And the first thing out of uh one of my local uh contacts mouths was you know absolutely be careful about wire transfers because they that you no know, that's what we see over and over and over is and so that's where i set up firewalls and just turn transfers off on any accounts where we park cash that are not you know checking accounts where where we're dynamically moving cash in and out so again to our listeners please be careful and uh uh, you know, and it, that is, you just don't want to get one of these things in your machine, especially if you're a small business. Uh, and so we'll find out what this two weeks is, maybe at some <laughs> point. Um, okay, so I watched your coverage yesterday of the Worldwide Developers Conference Thank you. Uh, that Apple did in iOS 8. And I was, I'm very excited about 8. Um, uh, they have, their are they're, giving us features which I think they can probably do securely. I I like the idea of starting from something that, if anything, is too closed and then carefully opening it once you've built a security infrastructure that allows you to open it securely. And, you know, we had our famous three-episode podcast on iOS security where we looked at you know this incredible infrastructure which has been built and is present in iOS 7 now. So what they're beginning to do now is you know Apple hears what people are asking for and they're looking over at Android and seeing what people are able to do on that platform and recognizing okay you know we need to we need to be a little looser here but not sacrificing security. So with the base of security they have, they are now going to be allowing a sort of a controlled inter-application communications. So applications will be able at the users, con- under user control, to m- surface some of the, some of their user interface elements in other apps. So for example, you could bring up the little send to panel in Safari, and in addition to sending it to email or or iMessage, you could send it to other apps. Um, and and for example, it'll be really interesting to see what LastPass may be able to do. We may finally be able to get. And in fact, I've already got a dialogue open with with Joe, um, and th- he hasn't seen this in enough in depth yet. But the it looks like. Apple will be making the the so-called DOM, the D-O-N, the Document Object Module. Wait, the document. Yes, that's correct. Object Module? Model. Sounds wrong. Model. Model, that's it. Model. Um, available. And essentially, it's this beautifully standardized hierarchical description of a web page, and you can... Traverse it. You can explore it. And for example, in there will be the form fields, which are you know to be filled out by LastPass. And so it may very well be that we get, for example, in Safari on iOS, the same level of of LastPass integration that we are enjoying on traditional browsers on our desktop operating systems. So that would be really nice. So, they're essentially curated, sandboxed interactions, is the way Apple is describing them. So, again, not a free for all, but more, more inter app communication, which I think was going to be a great move forward.
0: It's, uh, it's, um, I think it's well done because the receiving app and the sending app have to cooperate. And in effect, the sending app is a standalone app, it's called an extension. That operates as a, a standalone app, and is I think they've, they've done it exactly right, and I think you make a really interesting point that if you start from security and work that way, it's much easier and better than to start from insecurity and work towards security so right. I, I don't think, I think what they're doing you know judging from what i've uh, I've read is uh, is the exact way to do it yeah yeah it's very it's exciting and Leo.
1: Custom keyboards. Oh, be still my heart. Well, be frankly, that was that was why I left iOS. So, oh God, I know, and of it's, course, it's why I've got my little typo keyboard. Yeah, you know, my BlackBerry clone. I mean, the I tried the Flexi app, and it, you know, it's like okay, so I could kind of type onto a notepad, but then I've got to copy and paste everything over into the other app where I want it to go. So now we're talking about user installable. Third-party keyboards, so yay! You know the idea of being able to experiment with something better than this ridiculous keyboard, where if your fingers after you press the button and it goes click, then your finger slides off it and it doesn't register. Yeah, it's like what? You know, yeah. that's the definition of the iOS default keyboard now. So, and I guess you know they're they've they've added something called Quick Type, where it it knows who you're talking to and learns the kind of communication like how formal you are with that contact and then is you know does does word prediction and posts the words above where you're typing and so when you see the word you've given it the first few characters of you say oh yeah that's what i meant and then you just tap that in order to type the whole thing in so anyway so so that's being moved forward but boy i love the idea of an ecosystem of 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 attempts to improve the keyboard uh, yay. So, you know, maybe that, that would be great. I mean, if I, the problem is I'm going to want the big phone and of course, no more typo keyboard on the big phone. So I'm going to go back to a keyboard, to us on screen keyboard, but it looks like I may have a choice of, of which one. So I'm jazzed about that. And they're opening touch ID as we hope they would to third party apps. So that's just great. What that essentially means is that an app will I mean like a p- perfect example is Squirrel. You I, I the, the, the thing I need in for Squirrel on the iPhone is for you to re- continually re-authenticate so that your you know a sibling or a a friend hasn't picked up your phone and is using it and and thanks to the fact that Squirrel is able to authenticate for you the, the thing we need is you to authenticate to Squirrel. So the idea that Squirrel would be able to say, you know, pop up the little fingerprint image and you go, oh, yeah, and put your fingerprint on Touch ID. And then there's a a secure communication. And I'm sure Apple will have done it right. We have no documentation yet that I've seen, but that, that'll that be coming shortly. Um, where there's a, a secure communication to authenticate that you are who you are, and then that gives Squirrel permission to authenticate on your behalf to the website you're visiting. So, and I mean, and all the other apps that want to have, you know, on-the-fly reauthentication will be able to leverage this. So, that's just wonderful news. Yeah. And, and I also saw something that, that didn't make the headlines, but per-app battery usage. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Well, it's something so
0: everybody else has had, but uh, it's it's time.
1: <laughs> a lot <laughs> of these yeah. things.
0: I mean, we wait, to be fair, are things that Apple's playing catch up on. But uh, you know, like keyboards and so
1: forth. But uh, you know, it's good. It it it's yeah. Good. And I'm it's happy that Android is there. I'm happy that Android is there to apply pressure. Yeah. To to Apple because well, Apple's going to the-
0: integrate it in in a more elegant way, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the the per app battery I- info is what it is. There's no elegant way to do that and something they ought to have put in there ages ago because otherwise you can't figure out what is
1: draining my battery. Right? And I'm also glad that the whole HomeKit initiative. I would again because Apple is Apple, um because they're not advertising based and they're not, you know, Belkin or Linksys that are just using other people's firmware with back doors that they don't, that even they don't know about. Um, I'm really comfortable with the idea of Apple getting into the home automation market um, and bringing, you know, their security model and their approach into the, the, our, our home. I would prefer them, frankly, than anybody else I can, I can think of. So I, I just think that's good news.
0: Yeah, of all the people out there, they're the ones who could actually make this finally work.
1: Yeah. When I heard that Google had toyed with the idea of putting ads... On the Nest thermostat, yeah, that was never. Th- that thought, was
0: a false rumor. But uh, and good. no, good. That, That's absurd. Good.
1: The last thing I want to have to do is put ad blocking software yeah, that's, on that's, that my was thermostat. A, the
0: Google denied it. That was a false rumor. But, <laughs> but uh, I think for I think that you
1: the, the larger
0: point is that this will be an alternative to people who don't trust Google. Many of the things that you do with Google now, like Google Drive, will have its equivalents on the uh, ecosystem on the app, uh, Mac ecosystem. And yeah, you, you yeah. people prefer privacy. This will be a good choice. So did you see *Halton and Catch Fire? I haven't. Uh, and, you know, I've seen mixed okay. reviews. And I know you were less impressed than you thought you'd be.
1: Yeah, I saw the first five minutes. And the good news is it got better. So I did watch it. And I am, I am I think it's promising. And I am hopeful. And it was fun. There is, you know nonsense they, they uh i mean you know i obviously i'm watching this and could do what these clowns are pretending to be doing on the show and he's got some huge uh board of the of, of the white uh, uh plug-in uh jumper boards covered with leds and he's reading hex off of it and the first example he gives is is of uh Reading a B, and unfortunately, it's showing the hex for D. That's like okay. Well, that's pretty okay. bad. <laughs> uh,
0: but but is there are and, there any and, really bad? You know, like oh, this is so no.
1: no. Overall, overall, they're carrying the theme. I mean, this is compact. Is I it, no do no. Think idea, I mean is it? Oh yeah, yeah. No, this do is they definitely say compact,
0: or is it just no?
1: It's a Roman cliff They call themselves Cardiff. Cardiff. Cardiff something. Yeah. And I I don't know if I remember that or Cardiff is that's a familiar name. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking maybe that they're Cardiff predated Compaq. Um but it is absolutely the the BIOS, the engineer says, he's like taking this, this P- IBM PC, slides the familiar gray steel cover off and pulls the boards out. And, he, and, and so he's the engineer to sort of the, 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 the wheeler and dealer sales guy. And he's showing them how it's all made from standard off-the-shelf components except this one chip. Now, it was a little bogus because they had showed four of them. And he said, oh, we don't know which one it is. He's like, well, yes, you do. It's the, the one with the copyright notice on it there. Um, and so um, so they, like, removed this chip. And apparent, and they show, like, using some solder sucker in order to pull the chip off, even though they later removed it from its socket. So it's like, okay, well, that didn't quite make sense either. But So there are little things like that. But, you know, the, the so fine and then, but then they manually read out the 64k bios word by word and wrote it all down and i don't know why they wrote it down because then the next thing we saw was that it was scrolling on the screen of a of a trs80 and then it was being printed out of a printer and then they were holding and kissing the disassembly of it well, well that's, okay, that's not well, uh,
0: clean room reverse engineering.
1: No, no, no. And so and, and the other weird thing is that I mean I have the source from IBM. They published it in the in the P, IBM PC technical reference. It was my bible while I was writing first Flickr free and then spinwrite. Um so, you know, IBM was completely open about this. So what happens is IBM gets wind of this and the attorneys between the two firms talk and now they go out and find this hacker chick who was the one that was having sex in the first five minutes of the first, ep- of the, well, actually, of this episode. Um, and she's going to be the clean room engineer who has never uh. had any contact with the PC at all. And so she's going to, she's going to write from scratch a, an API-compatible interface BIOS. And that's the story of Compaq. I mean that's what compacted. They did have the non-clean room version, and as and actually as a backup, as I remember it, it was a backup. They had the clean room version in case they needed it. So mm. anyway, it's uh I, I I if I would recommend people watch it. Uh, I'm sure AMC will be airing it this week, and then uh, you know plug it into your DVR and and see where it goes. I'm I'm definitely gonna be watching it. I thought it was fun. Good. Um, I got an interesting note. From Jason in Portland, who clearly knows his way around machines, saying that Spinrite isn't obsolete yet. Uh, He said, Steve, lately I've been wondering if Spinrite hasn't been rendered obsolete by smart and sophisticated drive technologies. Could it be that that Spinrite's supposed miracles are simply because it forces the drive to take a hard look at itself? And all the repairs are being handled by the drive itself. I wondered if booting from another drive and running, and then he gives a, he says a backtick cat slash dev slash SDA, which of course is a Linux term for the, the hard drive. And he's then piping that to slash dev slash null. So basically he's just sending the entire drive to nowhere, which basically causes the machine to read the entire drive. Would a he's wondering if that would accomplish the same thing as a level two scan by virtue of reading every sector? Well, I already know that it doesn't because what Spinrite does that that won't is it shuts down all of the fancy stuff that ignores errors in the drive specifically to find them. So that's one of the big reasons this is not the same as you know copying the drive to another drive. Spinrite is, you know, gets in and basically makes the drive as stupid as possible in order to make it as sensitive as possible to problems, which would otherwise continue to be missed. Anyway, he goes on saying, I found the answer last night. I updated Grub, my bootloader, some time ago and just noticed that my seldom used Windows drive was no longer on the list. I tried a few tricks to get it to boot, but Windows would always partially load, and then the system would reboot. So, I reached for Spinrite and ran Level Two on the drive. When it was complete, I tried rebooting, but uh, rebooting again. But the symptoms were unchanged. Next, I got a little more aggressive. I started Level Five and went to bed. When I awoke, the scan was about one third complete, but I tried booting the drive anyway. It was a success. Windows loaded right up. Yeah, as an exclamation point. I finished the scan for good measure, ran update-grub2 from my main OS, and I'm back in business. This experience shows that drives aren't yet smart enough to take care of themselves. Thanks for the great product and your wonderful shows with Leo. Jason, Portland, Oregon. And Jason, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And, And indeed... Uh, there is still a lot of magic, as I mentioned midway through that, that Spinrite is doing way more than just letting the drive read itself. Uh, it gets, you know, it's much more proactive. Have you read The Martian by any chance? No, but I heard I, many people have tweeted it, and I know that uh, I just heard you talking yeah, about it with Sarah. Brian Brushwood. would recommend
0: it. He actually told a cute story that his wife, Bonnie, was listening to it. He'd already listened to it on Audible, and his uh, wife, Bonnie, was listening to it. And she was at the, apparently the, the climactic final scenes. And he came in, and she was lying in bed in the dark. And he lay down and held hands with her as they listened to the end of the book together. <laughs> I thought that was so sweet. I, you know, I'm, I'm listening to it now, and it's definitely your kind of hard sci-fi. That's why I uh, recommend it. Now, I know you don't do audiobooks, so you might want to try it on Kindle. But it's kind of like a, um, it'd be a great assignment for a college uh, physics class. Um, you have been stranded on Mars. You have you know eight spacesuits, a habitat that's structurally intact. You have four, Martians, four
1: oxygen tanks that have not plenty have been of oxygen. Yet. yeah,
0: oxygen's not yeah. a problem. You have on oxygen scrubber, so you can make more. Ah, you have depleted nice. Martian soil. There's nothing that would make anything grow in it, but you do have seeds and even potatoes and corn and things you could seed. Uh, but you've got to make soil. You've got you have only. Oh, and you only have what was it? Four hundred. I think, I think four hundred days of food. But the but there won't be a, uh, another Mars mission for two years. It's a wonderful. Wow. It's a it's it, at the beginning anyway. It's a it's a science problem, and and how the character it was wonderful. Mark Watney he's got a great sense of humor. How he you know solves these problems one by one. See, you're kind of hard science fiction. And so he got left behind. Yeah, they thought he was dead. They all went home. He wasn't dead. Oh. <laughs> he wakes up. Everybody's I gone. I hate when that happens. I hate Especially it when that happens. Mars. And
1: Especially
0: he knows Mars. he's got a little ways to go before he's going to be uh, rescued. Uh, I am just in the middle of it, so don't tell me anything. No spoilers here. This is RC Bray, the reader, Andy Weir. I'll play a little bit of it uh, for you. I love audiobooks. Let's see. Where do I begin? The Aries program. Mankind reaching out to Mars to send people to another planet for the very first time and expand the horizons of humanity, blah, blah, blah. The Aries 1 crew. <laughs> He's got a great kind of sarcastic, sardonic wit. It's just wonderful. Now, if you... Science so, fiction is not so, your cup of tea. There's a lot of... Other, go ahead.
1: Is he narrating it from first, first person... person pers-
0: well, okay, but neat, it's his... Neat.
1: That doesn't tell you he survives because it's his diary. Right. So, but, 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 but so this is... This is... His himself. Day by Day is, Diary is, of So so, so, it's so not problem a problem one. No, 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 it's, not, no, it's, it's not all not first a third person. person. Yeah. Oh, neat.
0: He is the Martian. It's a it's really wonderful. But uh, again, you don't have to be a sci-fi fan to love Audible. 150,000 titles including all 3 of Mark Krasinovich's books. We talked about Mark, of course, we talked with Mark. Yep. His latest yep. Rogue Code is on Audible. 4.4 4 rating. Out of five very positive reviews. Here's the deal. If you go to audiblepodcast.com slash security now, you can pick a book uh, and get it free. You're, what you're doing, essentially, is you're going to sign up for the gold account. That's a book a month subscription. Your first month is free. Uh, cancel anytime time in the first 30 days, you'll pay nothing. And that first book, you're going to get a credit towards your first book. That's free. And you get to keep the book even if you cancel. You'll also get the daily digest of either the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. There's so many wonderful titles. Business, too. Rock Breaks Scissors, a practical guide to outguessing and outwitting almost everybody by the great William Poundstone. I love uh, William Poundstone's stuff. So this is going to be on my list for sure. Anyway, lots of great choices. Uh, you you know, you want to read about Alexander the Great? You, can get that, you got that, too. It's all there. History, fiction, science fiction. Audiblepodcast.com slash security now your first ooh, a new stephen king novel mr mercedes if you're a stephen king fan audible is just a treasure trove by the way audible slash security now your first one's
1: free don't tell you. i don't know what to tell anybody who who is a stephen king fan and who has been watching the who watched the first season of under the dome you liked it because uh, well the book was really fun yeah and the series is excruciating oh it's terrible that's it's, right yeah oh, okay god it's just yeah i mean it's yeah. it's not following the book I, I normally stephen king things you know made for tv things they they they're an arc they tell the story and they finish and then they're over this is you know this is a tv series right. and going. the people are just yeah. running around in circles because after all it's a dome and what else are you right. going to do you're pretty much stuck in a circle Um, Somebody in the chat room insists I ask
0: you about the new programming language that Apple debuted ah. to replace Objective-C, Swift. I I said you will have no opinion because you're an assembly language
1: programmer, and anything higher than assembly language is dreck. Well, so yes, I'm not going to use it, but (laughs) I certainly salute them for, you know, as an aid for all the people who – I mean, I I think this is a – a very interesting move forward for, you know, the C-like language. Um, you know, the thing, for example, I saw one of the security guys uh, at Google picked up on and really liked the fact that, that data types were no longer allowed to overflow silently. One of the things that happens is, for example, you, you define an unsigned integer and you know a uint in c and you can add two uints whose whose sum will not fit in a uint and it wraps and it does so silently because you know c despite its high levelness is still a relatively low level language which is really the way it was designed you know as sort of a as a high level assembly language to to write unix in in the old days back at AT&T and bell labs um, so, so Swift doesn't let you do that. Swift notices that this addition overflowed, which otherwise produces a bizarre value. But in Swift, it says, well, you know, raises an exception. And, and so the programmer is able to catch that. And other things like, I mean, there's I, lots I, of I, stuff I, like I, that. no pointers Yeah, you. Yeah. I mean, I, yes. Yeah. It's there's, they, I think they've. Attempted,
0: as the Department of Defense did with Ada, to create a language that encourages uh, good programming practice. Obviously, it's always yeah. possible to write an
1: expert. Now, it is – well, and 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 I guess one of the things that's a little troubling is we don't know what the adoption is going to be. Um, it, you, the good news is you can smoothly transition. You can write new things on, in Swift and add it to your existing uh, Objective-C blob. Uh, somebody starting from scratch might just want to start with Swift. Oh yeah, but but so so there there's no obligation to program in Swift, and I do love that playground too. The fact that they they have yeah an 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 interactive mode where you can just like you know build code and watch it go, and without having to do a whole project recompile. And you saw us
0: as we were talking about Swift too. The one of the features, and I'm not surprised Apple put this in, is that uh, switch. Uh, structures which are case statements don't fall through at the end. You can't have a you know you have to have a result. And, have a default uh, that would prevent the go to fail bug that bit right. Apple so hard. And I think there's no accident <laughs> that, that they did that they did that. And you, by the way, and there are no go-to's, but you
1: could still probably do something really stupid. Well, and, and I'm I'm not a big fan of an auto. Typing language or a soft typing language, because I think that's one of the things a programmer should really do and understand is is deliberately establish the type of their variables, because then the compiler can help you so much in making sure that you abide by the type conventions that you set. Now, you know, there's a trade off. I mean, for example, JavaScript is just, (laughs) it just uses, uh, it just, you know, type abandonment essentially and and so in uh, and maybe there are like pragmas that you can use to turn off those things in Swift to say I don't want auto typing. I want to, you know. Be oh no, forced- it's a typed language. The, the
0: uh, it's much more a typed language than something like Python, which really is truly auto typed. Um, they, you, you. I think that Swift p- solves that problem very nicely and elegantly.
1: Well, it does say that it auto types, so it's, see, it, it from the context of your usage. Right. it decides. What but the that's type a But declar- The usage is a declaration,
0: and uh, and it cannot change. So casting and the kinds of things that you do and see routinely um, can't be done. And that's always a problem is casting a a string into, uh, into something that it can't be cast into or vice versa. Um, can cause crashes and can cause insecurity. And this, the, I, I went through the, I've been going through the whole, as you saw, all 850 yes. pages of the I, I did language definition. You, you
1: refused to end. I you wouldn't know, stop. All, 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 all of your Mac break guys were there. Says, <laughs> I Wait, stop. We've got 870 pages we're going to finish.
0: <laughs> and then last night I spent a considerably longer time uh, with it and the language itself. And uh, I'm pretty impressed, but, uh, you know, we'll see. It, there's, always, yeah, well, there's always a chance and- for
1: and these days we have a language every week. You know, well, I mean, that's we've true. Got, this will get adoption, and I'll go. tell you
0: why. Objective, uh, Objective C, which was really from Next and is only used on Apple, got adopted because it's the native right. language. Uh, this will get adoption. It's close enough to C and to any language. If you've ever written software in a high-level language, it's very, very understandable and straightforward. So the, absolutely this will get adoption. And Playground alone... It's got, it's got an excellent debugger. The IDE, Xcode, always, has always been uh, very nice. You assembly language guys, you can keep doing your own thing. but
1: uh, <laughs> And we will proudly. I'm sure you will. Okay, so uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, if there's any listener here who doesn't already know, um, we were all, we the industry, the internet community, were shocked when... On Wednesday of last week, the long-standing TrueCrypt.org website disappeared. Uh, it it was uh, TrueCrypt.org started redirecting to a TrueCrypt subdomain. I'm um, I think it was a subdomain. Maybe it was a down in the directory of SourceForge. Um, and and there was a. Really screwy looking page. I mean, n- no nice formatting, no style sheet. Just sort of, uh, just sort of scroll down, and it first it starts off by warning us. It's the first line in red: "Warning: Using TrueCrypt is not secure, as it may contain unfixed security issues." And then Leo, as you mentioned, you know, it made sort of a strange tangential. Uh, re- reference to how Windows support for XP had stopped on on in May of 2014. That's like saying somebody put mayonnaise in my
0: sandwich. It's a non sequitur. It, it exactly it has nothing it, to it do. It has with no
1: bearing. Yeah, and then saying oh, and besides, Bit uh, you know, uh, um, I'm blanking on Microsoft BitLocker. Uh, BitLocker BitLocker is available for Windows. Well, it's like, wait a minute. Not all Windows. I mean, right. only Windows the, Professional the pro and the yeah, Enterprise. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. And so really not,
0: BitLocker was created because they didn't trust proprietary encryption, whole disk encryption. So, it's just very odd. Yes. Why would and, they send you to the thing, the very thing they were created to to eliminate?
1: Right. So, so since then. I have done three blog postings, one each day, one Wednesday, one Thursday, and one Friday. Uh, the Thursday one was a little controversial. I made up a letter as if it was written by the uh, TrueCrypt guys, you know, and I said, "This is, here is, you know, an imaginary letter from the TrueCrypt authors or developers," um, and so that generated some dialogue. But I, I spent some more time looking at the code and looking at the license, which they, they took from version 3.0 to 3.1. And what was very clear to me was that while this may have come as a surprise to us, it was not a surprise to them. This was It was a huge effort to essentially neuter the fully functional TrueCrypt version 7.1a into what, they're, what they called 7.2. And what they essentially did was they, they put throughout the code a warning notice saying that it, that it might be insecure, and they removed the ability to create new TrueCrypt volumes. Essentially, all 7.2 can be used for is mounting existing TrueCrypt volumes presumably for the purpose of of removing TrueCrypt. And in fact, it looks to me, reading through the code, that the process of encrypting an existing drive was interruptible and restartable. In fact, I know that was the case. But it doesn't look like decrypting it used to be. They added interruptibility of decryption based on looking at the um, differential between the old files and the new files. So, I mean, they added, so they did some serious work in order to pull this off. So, I did three blog postings. Then the next day on Thursday, I, I popped on to Mike Elgin's uh, Tech News Today uh show and also Tom Merritt's podcast to talk to both of them about this and what I was thinking. And what, you know, the the big problem was that, you know, as listeners to this podcast know, I'm sort of anti-conspiracy theory. I mean, it took me a long time to acknowledge um, that, um, now I'm blanking again on the, on the government sponsored worm that went over and got the uh, <laughs> Iraqi nuclear centrifuges, Stuxnet. Um, you know, I was. You know, everyone was like, "Oh, you know, Stuxnet." It, you know, we were all guessing in the beginning about what Stuxnet actually was, and I was reluctant to acknowledge that. You know, this thing was state. You know, nation-state born, as it does now seem that it was. Uh, you know, the we and the Israelis working together to pull that off. So similarly. I mean, the first thought was: was this a site defacement? What you know was did someone hack the site in order to put up this wacky page? I mean, it was it seemed that hard to understand initially, and um, we now know that's not the case. The source, the people who manage and run SourceForge, have received no indication from the developers that they're site was hacked that they don't want this to be there that this was a mistake and you know we're now 7 days into this so so we know that this was deliberate we also know that it's deliberate from as i said the extensive reworking of the 7.1a code to create 7.2 um that my my final piece of work was to create an a true crypt archive on GRC, which now exists and will forever exist. So no one need worry that TrueCrypt is going to go away. I have it. And under the other item on the main menu, is says TrueCrypt Archive, and there's a page with all of the 7.1a materials. But if you all believe builds, this page, why would you want to use it? Well, because... I'll explain the page. I do believe the page, and I and I believe I understand the page. Part there's of the—we should wrong. explain
0: that a lot of this is complicated by the fact that developers are and still are anonymous. And so no one—you know, I mean, there's no there's no guy you can call up and say, hey, guy, what the hell's going on here? Because no one knows who they are, right?
1: Uh, Okay. Right, I don't think that's germane. But okay. well, it's germane no, I, in the I,
0: sense that it, because they're anonymous, there's no way to say, "Are you still alive?
1: Uh, what is going on?" Well, you, uh, you don't know that we've heard from them, and we have. So I'll get to that in a second. So, um, well, again, if you're so, anonymous,
0: I don't know how you prove that they're them.
1: Uh, and Leo, anyone can have any conspiracy theories. It's not they a conspiracy like. theory, I, though.
0: It's just that. Well, I'd well, like to hear no. what what you what you have to say about it. I just and I, I know you think consider having the key the you know hash, the MD five hash to prove this is from them and all of that. Uh, what we well, just, Leo,
1: th- th- just look at the code. There is no other explanation yeah. for what was done between seven point one A and seven point two. I mean, I'm looking at evidence. Okay, then evidence. why would we want to use TrueCrypt if that's true? Because it's been just fine for the last two years. And and uh, I'll, so okay. Keep going because I'm I interrupting
0: you. So go ahead, but I did want that one fact uh, in there that the that the developers of TrueCrypt are not known. We nor don't nor have they, they ever been. Nor have they ever. So been. they
1: didn't. Dis- right. Yeah, correct. Um, so, um, uh, so I put up a, a I put up a page on GRC where people could go to get TrueCrypt. Um, my belief is. That these guys what what became clear to me in looking at this, reading the comments in the code, looking at their website, um, and then um, and then I posited the, the, my own theory that made the most sense, and then that was confirmed by their communication with um, some people they had spoken with before who were then tweeting back and forth with uh, Matt Green uh, at Johns Hopkins. And es- essentially what happened is that they just got tired. They got done. Um, they've been running this thing for 10 years. Um, we know that they weren't making much money. They were asking for donations and weren't receiving them. Um, it's a It's a thankless job. Imagine putting together a trust no one encryption system where if you lose, if you forget your password, there's no one you can turn to. And so, so in response to that, they develop a system where they make you burn an ISO and boot the disk in order to prove that you've got the recovery key and, and so forth, which is, I think, reasonable precaution for something that that, that is going to be a trust no one solution. So so what what seemed to me entirely reasonable was that, and seems still, was that these guys who, uh, and I did read that they started off in their mid-20s 10 years ago, so now they're in their mid-30s, um, were just sort of winding down. 7.1a, the most recent release from February of 2012, so 27 months ago, hasn't changed um, because there's no bugs. I mean, it's finished software. Er- millions of people use it. It's robust. And the one thing that it has uh, that, that was brought to my attention is cross-platform compatibility. That is, you know, it runs, the, the same volume will mount on Windows or Mac or Linux because it it, it, it carries that across um, all three platforms, so, so it, you know, it is a, a useful, you know, I believe robust piece of software. And so my theory is imagine that these guys decide they're done. I mean, it's, you know, they created what they wanted. They, they have a piece of code and now out comes Windows 8. Um, their code doesn't support the, uh, the GPT. It only supports the master boot record. And there's the whole Windows 8 safe boot complication and all of that. So they're looking, if they want to continue to move this forward, at a substantial effort in order to give this thing Windows 8 compatibility. And they look around and think, you know, why? Um, we're done. Now, the argument has been made, completely reasonably, that they could have they could have changed the license and turned this over, sort of formally in a, in an announcement that that you know they're retiring. I can I can understand them choosing not to do that. It's it has always been the case that the TrueCrypt license was more source available than open source. You know, it wasn't GPL, so it has it is not in a lot of the standard GPL'd OSs. You know, many of the OSs have their own their own proprietary full-drive encryption solutions, um, and they use those, but they're not cross-platform, and that's one of the nice things about TrueCrypt. So um, looking at this code, I mean, I was amazed at the quality of the coding. It is it is lovely work. It is beautiful. And and I could easily see them saying, you know, we've just been listening to what happened after the same decade of span with OpenSSL and what a, a catastrophe the OpenSSL source code became. We don't want that happening to our TrueCrypt code. So... We want to just say it's over. Don't but trust. Why not the, you know, say all of that? Why be uh, so cryptic? If you I, will? I, I want just write I'm, that. I, they're not me. Um, now, what they did say, uh, uh, they so so Stephen Barnhart is is somebody who has interacted with these guys before. Early in the morning on Thursday, he wrote two letters to David, who he'd communicated. And I've seen David's last name, but I can't pronounce it. It's got a bunch of extra, you know, Unicode stuff <laughs> over some of the letters, umlauts and so forth. But, uh, and he received, re- he received two responses later in the day, which he then shared with uh, Matthew Green. Um, and so in a series of Twitter exchanges, which I picked up on, He says he quoted true crypt developer David saying, quote, we were happy with the audit. So one of the questions was, you know, were you, you know, like, well, I I should mention the, the one of my own pie in the sky theories. This wasn't actually one that I was promoting. I, I believe these guys just decided to be done with it and they just and this whole go to go, you know, go over to BitLocker or other native platforms is them actually not wanting responsibility for the future of TrueCrypt. They want, to, they want people off of TrueCrypt. They never want to think about it or hear about it or be asked about it or bothered by it or or expected to support it again. And in practice, the only way to make that happen is to have people stop using it. So so David wrote, as reported by Stephen, tweeting to Matthew, and Matthew subsequently asked for email headers in order to do some of uh, of his own detective work. We are happy with the audit. It didn't spark anything. We worked hard on this for 10 years. Nothing lasts forever. Is a quote from the email that one of the developers is believed to have said. Then Stephen, paraphrasing, said the developer personally feels that forking is harmful quote the source is still available as a reference though so they're really not wanting people to take this and despoil it and frankly from what i've seen that is what would happen i mean it what they have is immaculately I, i'm stunned by the quality of this and the idea that they that they pulled they held this thing together over a span of 10 years, and this is what it looks like today. Um, Stephen then said, I asked, and it was clear from the reply that he believes forking's harmful because only they are really familiar with the code.
0: I understand with a security product like this, you got to be... I can understand why they'd want to be careful with it, but this is not how open source projects work, but
1: okay. Well, this is not how... I, I don't know what that means this, this is, is not an open typic- source this is not an open source project and this is I mean this has been unconfused from it not, the beginning is the source code not open no it's 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 available but not open because of the license right right and the the anonymity of the developers I mean that's another thing that's atypical of open source yeah. so yeah. For, a security for you to say this program, is not how
0: understand that yeah
1: yeah so for you to say this is not how an open source project project works i don't know what that means i well, mean if I, it's I, not
0: open source then it doesn't mean anything
1: oh okay it's on source so,
0: forge it's the source code is open the license is a little odd i'm i'm not yeah. clear this well, not an open not not an
1: open and source the license is a little encumbered too right. because remember do you remember scram disk you know because i remember using scram disk that was the the uh, progenitor of this, it was there was a re- there was something called Scramdisk, and it later became TrueCrypt. Uh. And there were there was and if anyone's curious, Wikipedia has a good historical look at this because there was a there was one com- a security related company wh- someone left and apparently lifted the source code and then repackaged it. And then the true crypt guys assembled themselves, and then you know, attorneys were talking, and then so they backed away, and and for a while they were using you know other pieces of sort of quasi available licensing. So it's you know it's not nearly as clean yeah. as a from a, a written from scratch creation. Um, anyway, so so Stephen said. Uh, he said i asked and it was clear from the reply that that it he was, by david the
0: way, gpl for a while
1: yes true yeah true it's it's a, such a strange story all along it is yeah. and he said and so they believe forking's harmful because only they are really familiar with the code and then Stephen tweeted also said no government contact because again they were asked you know explicitly right. did someone Approach you? Is this because one of the wild theories was the so called warrant canary? Pe- people were conjecturing that, you know, the, this weird behavior was a consequence of of their, um, uh, you know, receiving some sort of a national security letter or something. And so this was their way of doing a, a Ladar Levinson, essentially, a la. Um, right lava bit and just killing it in order to, you know, send the message that it's insecure. Um, and as, as I was going to say, I was uh, during uh, talking to uh, Mike uh, and Tom on Thursday when they were like soliciting alternative theories for me. I said, well, you know, OK. I mean, I, you know, imagine that the, the, the this is we know that phase one of the audit is through and nothing Nefarious was found. Although I was careful to make sure that our listeners understood that this also wasn't an audit of TrueCrypt. This was just the, the the startup boot phase, get the system going code, and it all looked fine. Nothing bad was found. The second phase, which by the way is still going to happen, and so that's one of the other cool bits of, of news here, is that the. Uh, the is true crypt audited yet effort continues, so we're going to get an audit of the seven point one a code, which everyone is using currently and that it is still available um and I fully expect it to turn up no problems uh but we'll see, and we, you know we would have got an audit one way or the other, but one of the theories was you know the the you know why would this have happened if you didn't just believe that they're done as I do it would have been well that there was going to be something found or they worried there was going to be something found, or they would have known there was going to be something found and they wanted to a maintain their anonymity and also, you know, get the hell out of Dodge and, you know, not still be around when, when the, when it hits the fan. So anyway, I don't think that's the case. I think it's going to audit cleanly. Um, but St- Stephen asked and David, the developer, responded, no government contact except one time inquiring about a support contract for TrueCrypt, which, you know, does sound like some random... Sounds brand. exactly right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um And then David said, BitLocker is, quote, good enough, unquote, and Windows was original, quote, goal of the project. So... Again, this is sound. It sounds like a little defensive, which I believe. I mean, that makes sense to me that they're. I just think they're tired of this. I mean, I just think. And, and notice we haven't. There's been no motion, no activity for 27 months, and they're probably probably been under pressure brought by Windows 8 and the 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 safe boot and the need to support the the GPT. Partition type rather, in addition to the MBR, the traditional MBR that only goes up to 2.2 terabytes because it only supports 32-bit partition extents. So, you know, they probably faced the need to do something. And then they just sort of said, you know, why? We, we're we done. Um, and then finally, quoting the true crypt developer, David, David said, there is no longer interest.
0: I can and, see how it, You know, this happens a lot in other open-source projects where people just get burned yes. out and they just go, you know, yes. this is no fun. I don't want to yes. do this anymore. Now, so, if it were really open-source, they could hand it off. In fact, they could have gone into the... They did modify the license in 7.2. They could have modified the license to make it open-source compliant. I, I, yeah. I guess what they were afraid of
1: is is insecure forks. I, th- uh, I think that's you know exactly right. Well, and Leo, also OpenSSL, as we know... From people who've looked at it, I mean, you know, objective people have looked at it and, and just wretched at the quality of the code. Right. And, and I can't even, I can't express to you how gorgeous this thing is. It is a big project and it is immaculately written. I mean, I don't know who they are, but wherever they are, someone is probably paying them really well to write beautiful code because they are fabulous developers. I mean, I would trust it just because of the way it looks. I mean, it just, it looks like my source. I mean, it, it's just, it's beautiful code. So anyway, I, I think that's the story. Um, there is a new site, crypt, uh, uh, TrueCrypt.ch, which uh, is over- that's
0: not exactly what the audit said. I, I understand that that's your opinion. I certainly trust your opinion. But the audit was not completely praiseworthy on the code. Okay. Right? Well, I mean, I, I remember them saying that, didn't, okay, overall, the source code for both the bootloader and the Windows kernel driver, which is not all of it, obviously, this was just the first stage of the audit, did not meet expected standards for secure code. This includes issues such as lack of comments, use of insecure or deprecated functions, inconsistent variable types, and so forth.
1: Mm. That's what okay. the audit said. Right. Well, um, I'm using it, and uh, I know a bunch of other security-savvy people are using it, and I feel it is no less safe today than it was seven days ago before any of this happened. Um, I think it's always been safe, and I and the audit will proceed. We'll know probably so, in late I, summer. I, I now
0: understand the urgency of the audit. I'm really a, appreciative of the need for an audit. So yeah. I'm glad they're going to continue that.
1: Yeah, and um, and... Okay, so there were three tweets that came from Open Crypto Audit. Um, the first one was We are considering, and this was Friday. We're considering several scenarios, including potentially supporting a fork under appropriate free license with a fully reproducible build. More de-, that's the first tweet. Second one was uh, like nine hours later. Uh, more details on our work with the Critical Infrastructure Initiative. And then they said, we are continuing forward with formal cryptanalysis of TrueCrypt 7.1 as committed and hope to deliver a final audit report in a few months. So we'll get an audit. Uh, TrueCrypt will continue to exist. My guess is that it will continue into the future. It's probably going to have to be renamed because... Uh, the developers have not turned the name loose. Um, so we'll have to come up with some other name for it. And the license, I did not, I, I spent more time in the code than the license, but there was, ch- as you mentioned, Leo, change to the license in going to 3.1. Um, and the license did always allow people to use portions of TrueCrypt in their own code as long as they made it clear that, that's what they had done and i and I, I was trying to cram so much of this into my head that i don't remember now which direction that went in whether some of that language was removed they
0: stripped out um, attribution language they stripped out a requirement yeah. that you link to their website um, right i think uh that isn't indicative of anything they just it's kind of them saying we don't want anybody to <laughs> mention us again
1: uh, yeah, in exactly. In fact, it would I support think, your
0: no. argument what the, the modifications – the problem is we – I, I want to say they made, but that implies that it's the same people who wrote Crypt, and I don't know that that's conclusively proven because they are anonymous. That's
1: my point. Uh, True, and and to support the contention that they are different people – uh, we would have to know. We we would have to understand why the true developers have not spoken. Right? Maybe they're dead. I don't know. I mean, they they what? they <laughs> probably got they probably got killed. Uh, <laughs> we don't, We just and, don't know. That's the problem. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, Occam's Razor is where we are, yeah, well, and that's always. I think the bottom line go. is
0: nobody should use TrueCrypt anymore for because obviously, for whatever reason, you think somebody you could continue to use Seven One. Absolutely. I think everyone should continue to use it. Are are there alternatives? Are there credible alternatives? That's what I'm most curious. I mean, if I've been using TrueCrypt, I'm going to decrypt the drives and go somewhere else. Remember, Steve, they said,
1: it's the first line, that it's not secure. That's what Microsoft said of Windows XP, and you know how I feel about that. No, but I'm saying the guys who wrote TrueCrypt
0: said, warning, TrueCrypt is not secure. So if you...
1: I don't – you believe them, but you don't believe that line? No. I believe that what they're saying is that they are no longer going to fix security I issues. I wish
0: they'd said that. I wish they'd said, hey, we're tired of this. We're not going to do it anymore.
1: Use something else. Go away. Don't bug me, kid. But, but That would have been clearer. Want, they actually want people off of it. That's my point. Well, they, they could have said that. They, they, they did. Look at their page. That's what they're doing. They're scaring everyone away from TrueCrypt for no reason except they want to wash their hands of it. They don't want support calls. They don't want to. Re- they, they don't want responsibility for its future. Yeah. But well. so my point is that eight days ago, no one had any problem with it. I don't think this changes anything. Well, that's true, and I, I would, yeah, you will could, you could have an audit, right? That'll tell you it is. Yeah, a, it is exactly.
0: Still, if it's not open source, at least it's open code. You can read the code. And-
1: Yes, and you know, and and when we were talking about it before, we were talking about how, for example, how difficult it is to to build the thing. You need what was it version one point five two or something right. of it's Visual very Weird that way yeah. Visual C. Yeah. You know, you need some archaic version of this, and you need and it's uh, there's other weird things too. Like they went through and changed U. S. dot to United States. I thought, well, why expand the abbreviation? I don't know. But, you know, so I did look. I looked at, you know, like really what they changed. And somebody spent a lot of time doing this which, again, is the other thing that makes me believe this is the the developers, because you have to understand it in order even to neuter it the way they they did. And that's not as simple as stealing someone's security certificate. No, that's I a mean, good this point. was a, a huge, huge amount of work. I think it's, order it's fairly, set-
0: fairly safe to say it must be the original developers who created 7.2. Right. I mean, I think that's fairly reasonable. It's, it's right. still a puzzlement. So, are there alternatives out there? I mean, I know that there's a fork of it that is uh, open source; it's BSD, uh, free BSD license, and but it's Linux only.
1: Um, yep, and, and that's the problem. Is that is I don't think there's anything else which is cross-platform. There are various single-platform alternatives, um, and I, I guess they're worth looking at. My feel, see, I think this is going to survive. I think that. They, they, the financing is now, now exists thanks to the Linux Foundation and the, the crypto auditing project. They're going to audit TrueCrypt and we'll have an answer within a few months, later in the summer. They're probably going to find exactly the same level of quality which I think is sufficient, it, it works. There are no known bugs. They're probably not going to find any backdoors. I don't think that's why these guys did this. They did it as a labor of love. And, you know, they, they finished. Um, then I think it'll get renamed and it will continue to live as a cross-platform, open-source, uh, you know, drive encryption solution. So I'm not going anywhere. I'm not looking for anything else. I'm completely happy with it through the summer until we get the result of the audit. And, you know, we would have had that either way. And essentially, this sort of creates a firewall between the original developers and a new batch. And I, I just hope that the new batch does as good a job as the existing guys have done. I think there will be an 8 probably and the first thing on their list was going to be to to make it support Windows 8 and and the and the GPT and you know super large hard drives. Um
0: wow, it's a really strange story.
1: <laughs> I it, I, See, I, I just to, think it's I have to I say at this point I right. would trust
0: BitLocker or FileVault the Apple solution over true crypt and i i I just seems like it's risky given that it's the first line on the page uh, that that you shouldn't use it it's risky to continue using it after the audit maybe then everybody will feel fine doing it how hard is it to write this kind of software
1: um it's hard not to make a mistake i mean i'm learning as i'm writing squirrel because i am you know absolutely determined not to make any mistakes. You you have to think about security constantly. And it is so difficult to take an attack posture with your own code. Right. It is so much easier for somebody else to take an adversarial position and, and say, okay, how can I, you know, get around that? And that's what we've been doing in the GRC News Group, in the Squirrel News Group for the last six months, is... You know, looking at this and and other people have been looking at my proposed protocols and solutions and trying to come up with any way of attacking it, which is, you know, been invaluable for me.
0: Your skills so, to do this, to write the code. So so I, I agree with you. You need a review board of crypto experts yep. uh, to do this
1: right. And to and, write and remember, the code, you
0: would need to be a skilled programmer and a crypto expert, I presume, or
1: and is the crypto need, pretty need- straightforward? the crypto is now very straightforward you know they've got all kinds of wacky stuff that's more mostly legacy for example right. it used to use uh, cipher block chaining cbc as its as its mode of encryption then it switched to lrw which i think steve adler or somebody adler maybe it was mike adler had the uh, had rights to so it wasn't It wasn't completely free. But now they switched to XTS, which is the -the state-of-the-art block-style encryption for hard drives. Yet they're still supporting CBC and LRW for backwards compatibility. So, you know, that could finally all go away. Um, uh, And... And you also need to have kernel level programming because you've got to have a kernel side. And so that's 32 bit and 64 bit kernel for the various platforms that support both bit sizes Um, and then user land side for, you know, creating drives and creating containers and decrypting folders and and all that. I mean, it's a it's a big, complex project, but, you know, certainly not insurmountable.
0: I, I think it would be a really great uh, crowdsourced project to now that knowing what we know. In fact, if I had known that BitLocker, I mean, uh, TrueCrypt was uh, written by anonymous developers and and had never been audited, I might have been a little less likely to recommend it. Um, maybe do this right uh, with a crowdsourced project. Get some very accomplished programmers. Make sure they have enough money to feed and pay the rent. And, uh, and so, then uh, nominate a board Of experts, of crypto
1: experts to uh, review it. Here's what we know. We know it is solid and stable and bulletproof and bug-free. We know it doesn't crash. It doesn't trash your data. It has none of that misbehavior. We also know that law enforcement hates it because they are time and time and time and time again unable to crack True cryptid drives. We've covered many of those stories on this podcast. A, if you use a good password, nobody can get into it. What more do you want?
0: Well, again, it's hard for me to ignore this statement There's at the, top the of evidence. the page.
1: That's the evidence. <laughs> Who cares? This is the evidence, Leo. It is bulletproof. It doesn't crash. No one can get in. That's the definition of a perfect hard drive encryption tool. And that this page didn't say that eight days ago, and the program hasn't changed. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> it's your show. You recommend it. Uh, that's fine. I just I think when the devs, who you seem to believe, say using TrueCrypt is not secure, I take that as written. I agree with you. It's, it's robust. It's time-tested. Uh, but we don't know. We still don't really understand what happened.
1: You want me to read what they said again?
0: Yeah, I'm reading it right they're now. P- Warning, using TrueCrypt is not secure, as it may contain unfixed security issues. That's in red at the top of the page. What, what
1: What additional statement could they make that would negate that? How about, we worked hard on this for 10 years, nothing lasts forever, and there is no longer interest on our part, which they're reputed to have said. Hmm. Anyway. I, so, do, I, I our, know I understand our, what you're saying. I I do. I have no problem with uh, with us disagreeing.
0: <laughs> and our I wish there were an alternative um, that we could say with cl- with clarity. But fortunately, you
1: don't have to keep using it. But there. Well, but apparently I'm there is not I'm not using BitLocker. My God, you don't think that Microsoft has a way of responding to a request from the government? I know that TrueCrypt was written. Specifically to thwart that, and we have example after example of it doing so successfully. That's all I want right. from a from a whole drive encryption tool. And again, we'll have it audited in a few months. Right? Okay.
0: <laughs> so I look forward the to the drama. audit. I, I think the. I suspect you're right that the audit will come back and say no, it's clean. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, I think you're probably right on that case. I'm. I. I you know what? I don't use TrueCrypt, so. Um, it's not up to me. If you if you yeah, used TrueCrypt, I think you did it because you were of the paranoid variety <laughs> and you really don't want to take a chance.
1: Um well, yeah, it's uh, if you have a laptop that's traveling around and you actually really have the crown jewels on the laptop, then, you know, you cannot trust the encryption built into the ide drives themselves because we know that that we can be bypassed secure yeah. by the manufacturer yeah uh so your only choice is to use a third-party tool uh one whose whose reason for being created makes sense to you and the reason for true crypt makes sense to me right so yes i my laptops all have true crypt and i know that they're secure the
0: uh, best way to comment on this is to go to grc.com slash what? fund me feedback feedback i knew it was an f <laughs> and uh ask your questions there we with any luck we'll be able to do a QA episode next week right is that the plan oh I, yeah i think we should absolutely <laughs> that's the plan anyway <laughs> I, I think so <laughs> uh you can also uh go there and find spin right the world's finest hard drive maintenance and recovery utility and all of steve's freebies he gives very generously uh, on his uh, pages of all sorts of stuff grc.com 16 kilobit audio is there transcriptions of each and every episode are there. The show notes now are also there, grc.com. We have full uh, uh, 64 kilobit MP3 and even HD and SD video of the show at our website, twit.tv slash sn, and uh, you can also subscribe in iTunes and all the other podcast clients, or just get the app, and that way you'll get it each and every week automatically.
1: And we should mention that we decided not to pursue the Um, the BT Sync or BitTorrent or whatever, because it's important for the downloads to get counted because that's what PodTrack tracks and that allows advertisers to know how many listening ears and viewers we have and we would lose that if it was all turned into a, you know, homogenized BitTorrent Sync network. So uh, it's really better for us if our listeners will download the individual episodes,
0: if you wanted to do a, do a BT sync of the show notes or of Elaine's transcription, something like that, no problem at all. We we would ask that if you download a show, it's best if you download it from the twit.tv TV website. All the episodes, every one of the four hundred fifty eight episodes, is there, uh, and that way they get counted, and that way we get yeah. And I even have my own
1: links paid. on. At GRC are are redirecting through PodTrack yeah. also, so and that's so it, by the way getting... an
0: innocent redirect. Uh, what happens there, just yeah. so you know, is it goes through the pod, It does go through the PodTrack servers where they count individual IP addresses once and only once. In fact, more than that, they compare it against a master list of IP addresses uh, to eliminate spoofed uh, IP addresses to make sure each address is uh, unique and real. And then they use that as the count, and that's the count the advertisers use. That's what we bill advertisers with, and it's the count that we supply to advertisers and to hosts like Steve. And the show so it generates a well. really good number. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a conservative number compared to re- other podcasts who use, right. you know, basically download numbers. This is not that. This is a very accurate count, and uh, you have cracked 100,000 listeners, Steve, which puts you in a no very, kidding. very rarefied space. And I would hate Yay. to get that number any lower. <laughs> I want it to go up. Yeah. Very either. nice. I'm yeah. glad to know that. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. and it's, I mean, I don't know how you could – I don't know what we could do to vet that uh, redirect and so forth. Uh, PodTrack uh, is not collecting those IP addresses. They, as I said, what they do is they count them. Uh, that's, right. That's it's, it's, the
1: it's only for the sake of not double counting right. downloads. Right. right. Yeah.
0: There's no salesman will call, I promise. <laughs> Uh, Hey, thanks, Steve. We'll see you. We do this show every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 2000, UTC UTC at twitch.tv. You can watch live. Uh, If you can't uh, get here, of course, you can download it. But either way, we hope you'll be back next week. Thanks, Steve.
1: Thanks, Leo. Thanks, Leo.